Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the coming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. She is a friend of the show and a regular here on Fresh Text. She is Associate Professor of Practical Theology and Youth Ministry at the School of Theology of Ministry here at Indiana Wesleyan University uh, down the road from me. She is also the director of the Imaginarium and the author of um, some books and a sought-after speaker and just a all-around great person uh, who I'm super happy to have back on the show. Uh, this week, our text is from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. Exodus 14, verses 19 through 31. Make sure to subscribe to the show if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so that they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. So according to my records, we are recording episode 89. Wow. So yeah, we're looking at Exodus 14, verses 19 through the end of the chapter 31. Would you be willing to read the passage? Exodus 14, starting with verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for this moment, this definitive moment, the final uh, defeat of the Egyptian slavers over the Israelite people. We give you thanks that this story has been handed on to us and that we have the opportunity to open the word and study it together today. And so we dare to ask that your spirit, your spirit that was moving in the deep, your spirit that blew these uh, waves apart, your spirit that inspired and preserved this text throughout the ages, that same spirit would be upon us guiding our conversation, and on those who are listening in, that they may receive the word that you have 
for them, that they may bear it and hand it on to others in their care. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what grabs your attention today? What's, uh, what's jumping out at you as we do some observing? I'm always interested in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Hmm. And I guess I had always assumed it was one or the other. Hmm. You know, during the daytime, it's a pillar of fire. During the night, it's a pillar of cloud. But, but here we've got, we've got both of them at the, at the same time. So one is causing darkness. The other is light. I don't know. I wonder if it's, if it's the, the same thing just perceived differently hmm. or if there really are two things side by side. You know, if you had an aerial view of this, what would it look like? Huh. A God's eye view. A God's eye view. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting because verse 20 says that there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So even the, it seems to be that there's this one object that is causing it to be dark. The pillar of cloud, right? Verse 19. Right. Moved before them and stood between between them, right? Mm-hmm. So that pillar of cloud causes darkness for the Egyptians, right? But it lights up the night <laughs> uh, for for the Israelites, which anticipates your later observation, which I believe was in verse uh, twenty four. In the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud. So there it is, where it's just actually in a construction as a single thing, right? How did yours have it? Verse 24? From the pillar of fire and cloud. Yeah, so it has the word pillar once. Um, I mean, I can double check that, but that seems right. So it's not the Lord in the pillar of fire and also in the pillar of cloud. It's this pillar of fire and cloud. Yeah, yeah. As if the light, the light fire from heaven, right? The lightning, as it were. It's almost like a cloud with lightning coming out of it, causing... Brightness in one direction and darkness in another direction. Well, I mean, it almost could just be a fire. <laughs> You've got the fire and the smoke and they all work together and it both illumines and, <laughs> <That's a good laughs> and covers over. Uh, I saw something that I hadn't noticed before in verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. So if I'm an Israelite and I'm following after Moses, and I have this somewhat assuring, somewhat terrifying pillar that I'm following yes. in the clouds, for it to suddenly disappear, to go back, you know, is this my sign to go back to Egypt? Mm. Uh, or are we being abandoned? Are we being led into battle against the Egyptians? I imagine it was very disarming. It was not a self-interpreting event. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. It required the the next act of yeah. the opening of the sea to know what to do. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. God, God had to disappear in order to, in order to rescue the people. I shouldn't say had to, no, but I know what uh, you mean. it was fitting. It was fitting. That's the way the medievals would put it <laughs> to avoid imposing necessity on God. It was fitting that, well, following that verse 20, right? And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then again, you get the dividing of the waters. So there is a kind of dividing work. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm not, I, my hunch is, I'm trying to visualize it. You can't do that entirely because it's a text and it can't be turned one to one into a into an image. There's always loss and gain when yeah. we turn word into image. And, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And guess what? There's not a one-to-one relationship between word and image. Is what I'm trying to say. But I'm attempting to picture it, and it seems as though the cloud is the pillar of cloud, um, and the angel of God are kind of making it impossible for the Egyptians to reach them, or vice versa. Hmm. Which is not irrelevant, of course, because as you may recall from earlier in like chapter 12 and such and 13, I mean, the congregation that is named Israel is filled with a bunch of Egyptians, too. And in fact, the Hebrews were Egyptians. Habiru is just the name for hmm. uh, people we don't like, people from other places who like sheep and don't have land yet, normal land, right? So it's like, the for all intents and purposes, these people were part of the Egyptian world. And there would have been people in their community who, upon seeing this, might want to Hmm. Pretend they weren't a part of the group, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, and run yeah. back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this the first time? Well, where where does the angel of God appear first? Because I I don't 
I don't tend to notice the angel of God in this story. I focus on the, the, the pillar and the, the cloud and the fire. Sure. Well, well, you can look back. Why not? So, I mean, the final plague obviously has an angel. Right. Right. Angel sent, of death. Right, right. But so there's a clear kind of messenger or angel mm-hmm. there. And then the first reference to the pillar of cloud is towards the end of chapter 13. Right. When Pharaoh let the people go, keep going, Red Sea, mm-hmm. Bones of Joseph, Sukkoth, Etham, Edge of the Wilderness, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by both day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people, which interestingly comes back to your observation because it does then for the first time uh, depart from being before them, verse 19, yeah, right? To being yeah. behind them for the first time uh, in 1419. Um, I mean, I took it at as a God's eye view kind of moment, right? I'm not sure they saw the narrative up to this point is not they're looking at a pillar of fire and looking at an angel. Right, right. It could be that there's the invisible messenger of God that's yeah. kind of the pilot of the pillar, <laughs> yeah. as it were, right? I mean, because angels are mediators, you know, they're messengers. They're, they're to think of them as having their own sort of personality and will is to kind of <laughs> miss, miss the gist of the way they appear in the scriptures. Sure, they're, sure. they're really functionaries of divine uh, mastery hmm. and sovereignty. So I had mentioned the noticing that it moves behind them, Mm -hmm. and I started to speculate on whether or not that was terrifying for people. But maybe they had already been turned around. Maybe because because we know that these they see the Egyptians and they're terrified. Uh, So maybe they had even complained to Moses, "Why did you bring us here?" Right. So maybe maybe the the this pillar of fire and cloud is moving behind them, but is now actually in front of them because of where they're facing. I don't know. Just a fun thought there. It's possible. I mean, verse 10 hints in your direction. When Pharaoh drew near, the people lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So you kind of the blocking in verse 10 has them as it were looking up. Yeah. Yeah. At where they're coming from. Right. Right. Because the sea, of course, would be down. Right. Right. Sea, sea can't be up. <laughs> Just gravity. <laughs> it's not how it works. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's an insight there, right? It was in front of them and it's almost like having to block their view again. Well, it's like trying to take a picture of little kids when you're right. they're looking somewhere else and you're trying to get their attention. And sometimes you just eventually move with the camera since that's where they're at. Yeah, that's good. Because what does it mean to be before them? From God's point of view, it's it's before them means the direction that they're headed. Right. Um, but they might have their eyes elsewhere. No, I think that's a good insight. I think the the text permits that possibility and even encourages it. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and do a little uh, dig a little deeper. Okay. We're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, regular on the show, friend of the show, favorite of the show. We're looking at Exodus chapter 14, uh, verses 19 through 31, the crossing of the Sea of Reeds, or Red Sea, as it's usually (laughs) referred to. Um, So what's weird here? What do you think uh, requires some maybe deeper interpretation, even if we can't solve the problem? Sure. Now, what's uh, what's weird here? What what would you want to dig in more deeply if you were preaching on this text? What do you find? You th- what do you suspect you'd want to be spending a little bit more time on? Well, the the questions I would, I would I would be raising additional questions would be why does God keep doing stuff to the Egyptians in this passage? Hmm. Why not just you know blind them and then kill them? <laughs> But instead, he's <laughs> he's he's taking off their wheels. He's throwing them into confusion. Hmm. Uh, but but I can only could the could the Israelites even see what was going on then? Hmm. Ooh, yeah. So when does the pillar? I mean, it's it's probably connected to the pillar, right? Because the the pillar continues to be 
a blockade, a visual blockade between them. Right, right. Which I never thought about. Because, you know, cartoons and and the Charlton Heston movie overdetermined my reading of the text, right? And usually Naturally, I, yeah. I always have I always have in my mind the pillar back with what the Egyptians where they were. Huh. Sure. Um although it seems as though they're starting to pursue them. Mm-hmm. So let's look. Where is that? Um, when uh, did they get released? In the morning well, watch. Let's see. The Lord in the pillar of fire. What what verse? Are no, you where does the pursuing happen? Uh, verse twenty three. The Egyptians pursued them. So the Israelites have made it across, mm-hmm. and well, that's when they're they're not done getting across yet. They're still going through. Oh sure, okay. Right, verse yeah. twenty two. People went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the Egyptians pursued in after them into the midst of the sea. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down upon the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic. Yeah, it's almost like the pillar lets them through, right? Yeah, the blocking here is not clear to me Yeah, how it yeah. works. The, and that's maybe my mistake for wanting to sort of like work out all the kinks of the blocking. I mean, usually texts don't work like that, but <laughs> uh, this is one that I've actually had my homiletic students act out. Uh, and without giving them any direction for them to just, I, I simply read it out loud and they, they acted out. And uh, the one thing that I remember from that was, uh, was just how, how scared is the wrong word because they knew they weren't in danger, but, but how, how unsettled the, Israelites were when we acted this out because we're in the small room and they're trying to get away to a particular, they're running into a wall essentially. And the Egyptians are pressing in on them. And uh, I just remember there being this sense of, um, boy, yeah, that would be kind of scary. Like these people aren't even going to kill us here. They are our colleagues. This is just for fun. And yet yeah. I'm definitely feeling pursued and I'm up against a wall. Ooh, I just thought of Howard Sermon's, uh, the ba- people who've got their backs up against the wall. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's called a, a wall here, too. A wall a wall of water. Where's that? Verse 22. With a wall of water on their oh, right and yeah. on their left. Yep. Being a wall to them. Yeah, so they have, they have the Egyptians behind them, and then two walls of water on either side. Yeah. So is that in uh, Jesus and the Disinherited or a different text? Yeah, Jesus and the of? Disinherited. And maybe maybe the Egyptians had to come after them because otherwise uh, they wouldn't have crossed through the sea. I mean, maybe the sea wouldn't have opened up if the Egyptians weren't there. But the only way I could imagine myself actually walking through a wall of water <laughs> is if I know that the person behind me is trying to kill me. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of coming back to your question that you were raising that we, do, we, can't, we don't have to resolve right now, but... You know, why does God have a flair for the dramatic? You know, <laughs> why not just well, quick? And, and I wonder, maybe 10 maybe plagues, it's already been a pattern. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if you're getting to something. I wonder if even the text itself has some clues about the point or the purpose. What is sure. God's intent in doing it the way he does it? And I do wonder if verse 25 is, is less about God being dramatic and more just the geography of the, okay, they're trying to drive chariots through an, through a seabed. Mm-hmm. Surely there are rocks and it's not a smooth road ahead of them. But it specifically says he looked down on the Egyptian yeah. forces and threw the Egyptians into a panic. <laughs> so I think, and that's a theme that we'll see later. This might be the first one. I need to look that up. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first. That's a standard pattern throughout the rest of the Torah and in and in Joshua and in Judges when God is on the side, when he is fighting for his people, like verse 14, the Lord mm-hmm. will fight for you. You only need to be silent. Um, when The way that the Lord fights is to throw the enemy into a panic. That's his classic yeah, move. Yeah. Right? He does it with Gideon. He does it for Joshua's enemies. The the Is it Elisha or Elijah when the armies have surrounded I think them. both of them the, have one of those. <laughs> but, <laughs> that but makes sense. The throwing, the throwing into a panic is a classic. Adonai move. Yeah. And this might be the first one. And the rabbis tend to emphasize the first time a term is used. I'm going to look that up while we talk. I I don't think I noticed before, too, that the Egyptians were trying to retreat. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that uh, all the the Charlton Heston, all the little um, videos I've seen of this, 
It's, it's the Egyptians are coming at them and you see these angry faces while, you know, yeah. water washes them aside when, when it sounds like they had their backs, their backs to the, the Israelites. Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Israel, against Egypt. So they even recognize God is here. God is, God is fighting for them. Uh, this is too much for us. We give up. We surrender. We're going back. The throwing them into confusion move. Right. This is the first time that he, that verb is used in the Bible. Okay. It appears Which again. Which word? The throwing? The It's all one word. Throw them into confusion. Okay. So it's just Haman. Um, sure. Okay. <laughs> what was that reaction? <laughs> like, yep, oh, it's get Hebrew. Hebrew. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It appears again in Exodus 23 in a similar kind of way. Um, it comes in Deuteronomy, definitely in J- Joshua 10, Judges 4, uh, the, when the Lord over Sisera defeating them happens, the Philistines in first, first Samuel 7. So, I mean, it's, this is a kind of term, this, this, the Lord, you know, causing confusion in the enemies. Right. Um, so there's other ways of putting the phrase, but, um, the point is, I think this is a kind of a first move, you mm. know, and and I think the Pharaoh's forces are rightly interpreting it in a way that matches. I, I, I There's no reason for me to say that other than the fact that the Lord said earlier, you know, the Lord will fight for you. Right. Right. You need only be silent. And then you get them saying, where is it? Let us flee from Israel for Adonai fights for them against the Egyptians. Right. So mm. this kind of like, yeah, this fighting. That's his way of fighting is getting mm-hmm. the fighters to not be able to fight. You know what I mean? It's yeah, this weird yeah. kind of nonviolent violence. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is violent. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> when does he say that? And who is he saying that to? Is that is that the whole assembly or just Moses that hears that? Verse fourteen. Is that what you're asking about? Yes. Well, it's Moses speaking yes. on God's yes. behalf, actually. Okay. So Moses said to the people, "Fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of Adonai." which he will work for you today. For mm. the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Adonai will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Whoa, look at that next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Mm-hmm. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand. That seems strange to you? It does. It I does. Saw. Well, why are you crying out? Isn't it obvious why they're crying out to God? The Egyptians are coming. They're afraid they're going to die. What does this have to do with me? <laughs> My hour's not yet come. Yeah, exactly. Why are you bothering me? <laughs> Woman. Yeah. Tell the Israelites to move on. Yeah, to go forward, move on. That just I mean, seems weird to me. Uh, yeah? I yeah. I don't see why it's so weird. Help me see why it's weird, because that will help me. Because... I don't mean you to have to convince me. I just want to... If I were God... Okay. Uh, if my children were afraid for their life and they're crying out and they're they're in that utter terror and panic, I'm going to know why they're crying out to me. Uh, I mean, it seems like a rhetorical question in a sense, but but um, in a sense, like isn't that the most <laughs> yeah. important thing, right? Is that so yeah, the, yeah. But then it's still weird. It is, yeah. So why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Well, it's, okay. So it sounds like. They stopped. <laughs> Perhaps yeah. they stopped moving here. Yeah. Maybe if they had cried out while they were still walking, that would have been a bit different. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, this is being silly and speculative, but it's fun for a moment. If the pillar of cloud just kept going and going in front of them uh-huh. and just started cutting into the Red Sea and cry, I mean, what did you say earlier? It's very insightful, right? God had to unleash the Egyptians or they wouldn't have crossed the Red Sea. Well, maybe not had to, right? But, right, right. But it's kind of fitting because the fact is, is he could just take them across the Red Sea. That This doesn't have to be a solution to the Pharaoh problem. Yeah, yeah. Because in point of fact, you know, the goal is accomplished in the last line, right? They feared the Lord and put their trust in the Lord, right? That's what he's heading towards. And... If he can also get some glory over Pharaoh, verse 18, that's also pretty nice, right? So he's kind yeah. of killing two birds with one stone. And I, and I wonder if there's a sense of closure in this, which which I hate. I mean, I always think of the teenagers who break up and, I just need some closure. No, you don't. You just need to move on. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. Isn't that what God uh, is that's saying? That's what God here? is saying. And aren't you this loving yes, parent yes, who would yes, never yes, be yes. impatient? Yes, Okay, stop. Um, <laughs> Where was I? Sorry. 
closure because uh, th- that's what Moses says. Oh, oh, yeah, you'll never closure. see them again. You're never going to see them again. So you mm-hmm. think of the hundreds of years of oppression. Yeah. Maybe maybe this is just that final retribution to keep people from wanting to go back to take vengeance eventually, or uh, they, they have a they have a conclusion to tell their children. Um, you know centuries from now, when they're repeating the story of what happened. It's not just God opened up the sea and delivered us from the Egyptians. It's, and he vindicated us. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think they're all intertwined with one another. I mean, I'm with you that it's weird, but I just think everything that, I mean, the Lord's always changing the subject when he opens his mouth, right? Isn't, I just feel like the non sequiturs are just, they, they've come to me to be like in verse 15 that you highlighted, you know, they've sort of become a, that's a problem. Like, and this is probably relevant for, this is why you're a better preacher than me. Um, you're really good at like noticing, like, that's not a normal way of having a conversation. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, that's just God. He's weird. He talks to, he, he talks weird. He, he says something like, <laughs> like the next event has already happened or like the previous sentence wasn't just said. Like he's always just sort of like talking in this kind of jump around way. Yeah. Um, that is, is also kind of cool. And also may reflect, uh, I mean, this is a bunny trail. We don't have to go down, but it could reflect a compositional history sure. here. Cause I mean, like, I'm pretty sure people told this story, like the next day people, yeah, you know how yeah, like kids, yeah. will, like teenagers and, will be describing like, right. and then he did this and then he did that. I mean, everyone was telling this story, which means there were probably a whole bunch of conflicting oral yeah, histories yeah. that had been sewn together. And I'll bet, I'll bet when, when we got to verse 15, when they got to that part of the story, you know, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I wonder if that was a funny line. If that just made people laugh. <laughs> right. That's a good insight. <laughs> and God was like, move along. Just move What's along. Up? Right. Because most, most his hearers would have been familiar with this story for most of the ways it's been, most of the time when it's told, it was told by Israelites to their own young who'd heard it before. Yeah, and if you, if you don't know what's going to happen, what's going to follow, if you're hearing this story for the first time and they're crying out to God, uh, this is a it, it it doesn't meet your expectation. What he says yeah, it's here, jarring. it's it's jarring and um, clearly shows that he is operating differently than 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 we do. This isn't just your mother's defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. And how will the Egyptians know that he is Lord? When all of them died. That, that, that is one thing that always bothered me. <laughs> like all of them. Did he let one go back? The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So maybe it's just... Explain the problem to me. Well, uh, how do the rest of the people in Egypt know what happened? The Egyptians will know, or is it just those, the Egyptians will know, and then I will kill them 15 seconds later. Well, that would be one thing. That would be one thing, but I don't like that. Right, but wouldn't that count? Yeah. Because, I mean, the Israelites, they're all going to know he's the Lord, and they're all going to die in the wilderness, just a slightly longer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, because it even explicitly says, verse 25, you pointed it out. Let us flee before Israel, for Adonai fights for them against the Egyptians. I mean, there's this explicit, like, acknowledgement of Adonai's authority. Yeah. So, but right? what, so, what like, are they thinking back in Egypt? Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't take it that that was the primary. I took it as a synecdoche because they're keep being referred to as the Egyptians as they're going into the water. These are the Egyptians that know. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the word. Well, the word would get back, wouldn't it? How? They all died. Does it say that? Yes. Where? Uh, da, 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 da. The entire army, not one of them survived. There you go. Nailed it. Waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Right? Right. So not all the host of Pharaoh, all the host that had followed them into the sea. So you think not all of them went through went into the sea? Well, I don't think that. You're the one who brought up who who survived. I'm like, well... It's, this is just a classic exegesis <sighs> moment. Both of us are taking a sentence literally. We're we're actually both taking one sentence literally, and you're emphasizing one clause, and I'm emphasizing another clause. Uh huh. You says not one of them remained. Okay, all right. Not one of the host that had followed them to the sea. When you quoted it, you said all the host of Pharaoh. Not one of them remained, which skips a a whole clause. See, right? okay, mine but, says in verse twenty three. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Which line? 
verse 23. Yep. Nice. Yes. Good. I just, I don't think we can take it this literally or it's not going to make any sense, right? <laughs> well. I was trying to meet your literal with literal to show that it's it's absurd to take it that literally because obviously there were probably some horses still back in Egypt. So obviously all doesn't mean all here or the whole thing is just bonkers. See, I think that back in Egypt, they waited for a long time and nobody came back and nobody came back. <laughs> and then they sent out a search party and they followed a trail because it's the whole army and the chariots and horsemen, not the whole army, but a huge army. We know that. And so they could follow the tracks, and then perhaps they saw the dead Egyptians on the shores. Yeah. And figured out what happened. I've just solved my own problem. Thanks. Yeah. And then 60 years later, those people would die, too. <laughs> so people knowing and then dying later still still counts as knowing. <laughs> oh, man, that was fun. I love disagreeing with you, because then I actually learn new things about the text, because it like, makes you like go in and say, but what about this verse? What about this verse? So much fun. Was that not as fun for you? <laughs> I'm mostly enjoying you and the way that you enjoyed that. No, I think that's clear. I think that's clear enough. Yeah. Yeah, the whole host goes in. I just assume there's like dudes back at the camp, right? Like, not the army guys, but like, you know, like... The cooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not literally every living Egyptian that was within a the thousand years. Yeah, yeah. There's other dudes around who saw it all go down, right? That just seems obvious to me, but maybe not. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But yeah, I mean, them knowing and then dying seems like the perfect fate from God's point of view. Like, not not that they would be preserved and now be worshipers of him. No, he wants them dead. That's how they know him. <laughs> they know him by his foot that they are under, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's the goal here, because they have just completely abused and and oppressed these people for four hundred years, right. and this is right. this is this is their proper fate. Uh, this is this is one of those moments where the 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 wrath of God ought not be explained away. The wrath of God mm, is good news mm. here. They, they need to go down. This mm. is the this is the proper end. That's at least how I feel about it. And just recognizing that I might be on the wrong side of that particular history if I was <laughs> yeah. there. So I don't get myself off the hook when I say that. Yeah. But. yeah. Well, this was fun geeking out on the text. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Exodus chapter 15, verses 19 through 31. Let's explore some sermon starters. Where would you go or what advice would you have for preachers and teachers developing sermons or lessons on on this passage? Yeah, so... um before the break, we talked about 1414. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And if you ever walk into any kind of, uh, Christian-y painting on wood and banner type store, you will see that verse, <laughs> uh, you know, on journals and stationery and this and that. Uh, and so I see that a lot. And yet there's still stuff you have to do. Hmm. So, so. What do you do when God tells you to be still? Because the, the, the Israelites, they're not just, they're not just standing there. In fact, they are at one point and, and, uh, God tells them to get moving. Yeah. It's literally the next sentence. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I'm afraid of this. Um, when you're in a battle, just do nothing because God will fight. So it's maybe do the right thing or what, what is the thing? There's some meaning in that, in that being still, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, who knows? Maybe they couldn't actually hear the Lord's next command if they weren't being still. Hmm. Well, that's a place where just a translation comment can be helpful. It can be translated silence or hmm. still. So be silent or be still. Shut up <laughs> would be uh, pretty close <laughs> to yeah. the capture. Um, hush. <laughs> I mean, you know me, I'm into these contemplative kinds of themes, but it's always helpful to remember that you know, silence is oriented to the word. Stillness is oriented towards true action, right? Oh, say, Solitude, that, say that again. Say that again. Silence is oriented to the word. Okay. Uh, stillness is oriented to movement, to action, to good works. Uh, and solitude is ordered to community, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, these things are not the negation. It's that we silence the words so that we will hear the word, mm-hmm. right? We... 
uh, enter into solitude from crowds in order to re-enter into genuine community, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's about reordering oh, that's that's what's good. disordered. Yeah, that's pretty good. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, the stillness here is not uh, is not the final word. In other words. Right. Sure. The okay. stillness is the stillness before the Lord. The most important is yeah. stillness yeah. or wait upon the Lord. It's not waiting as an end in itself. Yeah. It's waiting upon the Lord because it is in a position of waiting in stillness and silence that one then hears the direction of God and then one acts on it. Because if you don't, you're going to get slaughtered by the Egyptians or drowned in the Red Sea. <laughs> yeah. Right? So like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is an action to be taken, but it needs <laughs> to be one in obedience and in response to divine direction. Rather than just, you know, willy-nilly. It's the that quiet before the storm. And in this case, God is both the quiet and the storm. Oh, this is good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Which parallels the, the, he's both the cloud and the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I like that. So you're, you're, are you drawn to that particular line? Or is it more, that's maybe a, a point of entry even to the sermon? is to kind of counteract a, a misunderstanding sure. of this famous quote. I'm asking you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where, you, where you think you're heading? What's, what's your take? What's your angle? So it, it depends on what is going on in culture, of course, when this sermon is being preached. But um, sometimes I hear verses like this in defense of not protesting or having a certain public stance on something. It's the, hey, mm. just be still. Let God do the fighting. If, if, if you're really on the side of righteousness, you need only be still. And I find that problematic, but I don't want to just dismiss the verse or say, oh, you're taking it out of, out of context. I want to actually, I want to actually see what it is saying. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's a half truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lie. Uh, <laughs> really, that's, <laughs> lies aren't. Zero truths. They're always twisted <laughs> truth, right? Right, right. So what does it look like to be still and to act? Yeah. I mean, this is maybe too cute, but it's you can even have a phrase like the stillness that walks or, hmm. right? Um, Ooh, yeah, that, that would be a fun thing to play with. The stillness that moves, the stillness that steps. Hmm. Now I'm getting alliterative. So. The stillness that kills. <laughs> well, the that, stillness. Because what is it that they're doing there? And I mean, maybe, I mean, again, I don't want to camp out on the translation, but I mean, this is Moses speaking in 13. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fear not, stand firm and behold the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the, And this is before God has given him the command about the breaking, the opening of the waters. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not sure he knows yet how it's going to play out, right? Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to hush up, right? It's this kind of, and then all, then the follow up that we highlighted some strangeness about in verse 15. Mm -hmm. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward, right? Yeah, yeah. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand. I mean, there's very specific instructions for what Moses is supposed to yeah. do. So there's this, this, uh, you know, it's it's this. Uh, stop whining. <laughs> I'm about to help you. You know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that if that helps. No, it but. does. So that verse 13. There's three things. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord. Could can can that line up with faith, hope, love at all? Sure, why not? Is that pushing I mean, it too much? Well, it's, uh, it's probably, see the deliverance it's of the Lord. Both. <laughs> see the deliverance of the Lord. Okay, there's faith there or hope. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want me to do it, I can find a way to do it. But I, mean, uh, I think it's hope. Be it. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, yeah, I would. I wouldn't. I, I, I mean, if you, how about lining it up with the fruit of the want spirit? It? How bad do you want kidding. it? <laughs> if you want it really bad, I can always do it. I'm a I'm a trained theologian who reads uh, medieval. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> medieval uh, commentaries, and that's literally all they ever do. So I can definitely do it if you really want it, but it looks pretty forced. <laughs> the movement's clear. It's the fear not. I mean, I love those. I I mean, that's all, you know, you've heard how I preach. That would be my whole sermon, would be one sentence, right? Fear not is the thing that you're afraid of. You got to address that first, the felt need, yeah. right? Yeah. Stop the fear, right? Stand firm, right? That's the kind of hold in place that corresponds. That's what the silence is about. It's mm-hmm. whew, take a deep breath kind uh-huh. of silence, right? 
and then behold the salvation of the Lord, right? Get ready to see what he's about to do. Pay attention. You could almost turn yeah. it to, right? Yeah. Fear not, stand firm, pay attention, right? And so pay attention means shut up. Mm-hmm. Don't move around a lot. Don't say a lot. Don't just get caught up in the crowd, but pay attention because when God starts moving, then you start moving too. Yeah. Right? So it yeah. doesn't, it's not a permanent state of stillness. But it's a discerning stillness, right? Right. And and you're saying it depends on what's going on in the culture. And yeah, this 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 podcast is meant to be um relatively evergreen, but at the same time, like we don't have to deny we're recording this in late August. It's gonna drop in yeah. late September. So you're thinking of the things going on in the world about in politics and society and things like that. Maybe, maybe not. And 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 you get you can get stuck where there's some wisdom in just waiting and not jumping to speak and yet at the same time that can be just a cover yeah to not you know stand up for what you believe is right in a particular moment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think this does cut a a balance between those by saying i think so the the image that came to mind here uh, while you were explaining that was one of someone drowning Hmm. and how when you are drowning and someone a lifeguard comes to save you the Mm -hmm. best thing that you can do is be still you know, you you think you're trying to help them, but in fact, you're just <laughs> drowning you both. What I need right now <laughs> is trust. <laughs> Inside joke. No, um, we should tell it. It's funny. <laughs> tell it. Because um, <laughs> it actually perfectly fits that. Oh, Parallel, so it's right? okay. I mean, you don't so have to go into the details. We're, just... we're in this escape room and there's what, a total of three couples. This was pre-COVID. Um, although we were afraid about lice that was a thing um no bed bugs it was bed bugs we were with a couple who had who had been infested years before for nine months yeah so once you've been through that it's hard to not think of that anytime anyway so we're in this room we're running out of time i don't even know what it was it was something to do with math or numbers that we're all trying to figure out super close we're super close and John is off in the corner, and all of a sudden, both of his hands go up, and he closes his eyes, and he's squinting, like, face is all scrunched up. And he just goes, what I need right now is trust. Because <laughs> I needed, like, someone to hold this on the wall, yeah, someone yeah, to yeah. hold that, someone else to turn a light, and we a were, laser we were all we were all talking at the same time, but then he, he yells figured. out this need of his, and there was a moment of pause, and then we all laughed at you. Yes, uh, and then you solved it and freed us. So, <laughs> well, there was like four minutes left, and I figured it out, yeah, and I didn't yeah. have time to explain it. Yeah, I needed yeah, you guys yeah. to just try it, and if it didn't work, we could move on. <laughs> so, John is God in this story. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, and no, what no, he no, needs no, 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 no. right now. <laughs> okay. No, that was linked to the what I need right now is trust. Was back to the the life, the, someone saving you when you're yeah, swimming. Yeah. How sometimes, you know. Um, you know, someone's trying to help you. You just have to go limp, as it were. Right, <laughs> um, right. And wait for instructions. Yes. Right? You'd yes. almost take this, you need only be silent. I almost want to, like, make a new driftwood that says, you know, <laughs> uh, the Lord will fight for you. You need only wait for instructions. Right? I mean, that's mm. the gist. Oh, I like that. Right? I like that. Because yeah. they immediately are given instructions about what to do. But it's weird. It's not the thing they would have discerned. Should we go left? Should we go right? Should yeah. we go back? Yeah. No, no. Go into the water. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a little crazy you right know? yeah yeah man I, I keep coming back to the drowning image yeah that's a good one yeah better than our uh, story because it <laughs> makes me go it's just funny though it is a funny story. <laughs> but you that's the point is to think of i don't know but like i mean you and i love stories and because we're humans humans love stories right but i mean it like it's so tempting for a preacher to like have like a stock illustration. Oh yeah. And like, even if the stock illustration is perfect, like the drowning thing's perfect, but I just, I don't have an experience like that. So I can't narrate it. Whereas like you could tell that story in elaborate. I mean, you that's like, you could make that into a five, 10 minute story. The whole, the whole experience right, right, of this right. escape room. You know what I mean? I mean, I couldn't do it because it's I'm God in the story, so it doesn't <laughs> That's work, right? That's a little tricky. That's why I asked you to tell it. Did you catch, did you catch that? I that was did. Very catch humble it. of me. Yeah, very <laughs> humble. But that is a a thing to. I mean, a slightly less perfect match story, but that's like your story. I don't know. Maybe you don't agree with me, but I think those are generally better than the kind of like stock 
illustration that doesn't really link up with any sort of lived experience for you or for another. It can be another person, but that needs to be a specific story as opposed to just generically. When you're drowning, it really helps. You know what I mean? That's got kind of old, I don't know, that has a kind of an old school Chuck Swindoll vibe to it that doesn't do anything See, for I don't me. think so. Okay, uh, tell me. So the Chuck Swindoll vibe that I would identify would be the the, the fake story. Okay. You know, if, if I if I made up a story about someone drowning okay. um, or was reading, a, like, um, I remember when I was in middle school working on devotionals and re- looking through illustration books yeah. to try to find one. Cause I thought that was what preachers were supposed to do. Um, <laughs> where was I? I'm sorry. I didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what, what I like about the drowning illustration uh, is, is even it's, Probably not one that people have experienced, but it's one that they can understand mm. and comprehend. Mm-hmm. So there's a way in which everybody can participate with it. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. No, I think it's really good. And, and it's, it actually has a nice setup because then, of course, it flips and someone's going to get drowned. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. You need only wait for instructions. Right. Is there a better oh, way to oh, put oh, it? Or is that- oh, Go ahead. and they're all doing, they're doing different things, too. Some of you might need to hold a hand up in the air. Others of you are, you know, you're focusing on walking, getting through. So recognizing too that um, this isn't this isn't a time to compare compare roles or or think that you're doing it wrong if if it's different than what someone else is doing. Yeah, that makes me wonder if there's. I mean, this is maybe too three pointy, but you know, I have a tendency to have, have three points. points. Yeah, it's the three actions. Of God in his intervention. It's maybe four. Depends how you play it out. So verse 19 through 20 is the movement, is the protection of God, right? As he moves the angel and the pillar to, to divide them, buys them some time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The protection of God, mm-hmm. the, the preventing. This is prevenient grace, which, oh, is, yeah. which is rooted yeah, yeah, in yeah. the word preventing grace is actually how the word would appear in like Wesley's works, preventing grace. Mm-hmm. So it's what goes before and kind of prevents the calamity from happening too soon, right? So protection, prevention, whatever. And then in 21, the Lord, the, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back, right? Mm-hmm. By a strong east wind, right? Yeah. So then 21 through 23 is the Lord actually opening up the sea. So that's the kind of providing a way. So there's the protection, the, pro- the, the prevenience, and then there's the, the direction and the opening up of a path, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you could say it's kind of in two, in, in, two point, in two moments. You could think of them as separate moments or as kind of two aspects of one. Starting with 24, uh, in the morning watch, the Lord looked down and threw them into a panic Right. And then, and then 26, he commands Moses to stretch out the hand so that the waters come in. Right. So there's the, yeah. there's victory, right? Yeah. That final yeah. victory over the, and justice, right? Like you said, right. The, right. the vindication, a final, final, final uh, defeat of the enemy. That those are kind of just like narrative points to kind of say, cause sometimes it's nice. It's, it's easier to get to the application to start with what do the humans do in it? So the humans complain, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This is a, constant thing in in an old testament especially in old testament literature right to kind of think like so you can start with the humans and say like okay they're complaining and then they you know they learn to like we said earlier fear not stand firm you know like all the the stuff we're talking about and i think we can include all that but sometimes there's a lot of benefit i mean lennox taught both of us this pattern to just and i still have to remember it every time because it's harder to get to the application sometimes sure to say, okay, well, what's God doing in the story? Right, and make right. that the, the backbone yeah. and then build the application from there. And yeah, I wonder if there's yeah. some kind of movement of God preventing calamity, hmm. God providing a path, and then God um, defeating the enemy, you know, That's bringing good. victory like and vindication. I like that. And then, I don't know, some application that you'll have to figure out, Amanda slash dear listener. Although then it that comes back then to fear not. Stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, right? It's, yeah, yeah. You know, don't be afraid, right? He'll 
I mean, that could, you could even set it up that way. Like, how could Moses possibly tell us, expect us in this situation to fear not, stand firm, and behold, to, to await instruction, to behold and, and pay attention? Right, that, yeah. And then you could go through those actions of God, and uh-huh. then you could come back to it and say, well, we can fear not, because God is, despite all, it's, you know, it's a horrible thing to say, but things could be worse. There's a, yeah. there's a, un, there's an insensitive way of saying that. And then there's a very true way of saying that is to say, think of all the calamities God is preventing. And then, yeah. And then move forward Even from there. Even in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Geez. Right. Right. Did you hear that a meteor is coming? Oh, geez. The day before election. <laughs> <laughs> what a year. What a year. Um, and I, th- I think there is an application piece here at the end that would be really easy to miss. And so this last verse, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And then, you know, they go into a song afterwards, a song of praise. Right. Uh, but there's a sense in which testimony, I think, is, is, is at the end here. So it's, it's keeping a watchful eye for where and how God is present. Uh, acknowledging it as such, not just coincidence or this strange mm. thing, uh, and then and then testifying to that effect. Yeah. So the actual application is what you're beginning to do when you start to stop and notice what God has done. Yeah. I like that. That that seems true. That seems good. Yeah. Well, if it seems true, it must be. <laughs> yeah. Well, but fearing the Lord and putting trust in the Lord in verse 31, these may seem like abstractions, but then when you look at verse 15, that's what it begins to look like. Right. Praising yeah. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because fear is connected to worship. Yeah. Um, and faith is connected to confession, right? Right. Not believe in your heart, but confess with your mouth, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this is just a very random tip, but I mean, just a sort of tip to, to preachers in particular, uh, but this could work in any kind of teaching setting. Like this would be the kind of text where if you were teaching or preaching on it, that you would want to have some time at the end, a, a, a little bit longer time for response than maybe usual. Hmm. Why do you say that? Well, because of if, if you, if that's your final move is okay. you want to give people a oh, chance yeah. to okay. actually okay. Okay. do it. You know, Oh, so you know like what? 10 minutes at the end of class for some yep. testimony or a, a little bit longer, uh, time of of worship and song at the end, maybe even having one of your. I mean, there are some transpositions of of chapter fifteen into contemporary uh, tunes. Yes, or have some if you're at a church the larger team, have someone on your worship team set this to music and and sing it, and then maybe add a song or two to participate in. But a highly participative mm. celebration mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of what God has accomplished. In our life and with hope for what he will. Yeah. I think there would be some important place I for that. I think so. I see that. I see that. Um, going on the testimony note, too, if we look through scripture, this this story is referred to multiple times in different oh, places. Yeah. It would be fun to count how many places where all it shows up. Uh, and to use this as an example of, boy, when, when David was in this low place, blah, 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 he remembered this story. And that's a good line. That's a good idea. You're thinking of 77. I'm thinking of 77. (laughs) Psalm Um, 77 has a really cool, though his footsteps were not seen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a little, gets a little close to the, to the poem, but it's still worth it to, to think of overlaying Psalm 77 on top of this would be a pretty killer sermon. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah. Cause you're, you're working on a, wait, is that, is that a secret? You're working (laughs) on, you're working on a sermon on Psalm 77 that I assume will draw a bit on this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Maybe that's why you oh, – I didn't give you a choice. I think I just stuck you with this oh, text because yeah. it's, well, it's, it's going to drop soon. I think I've talked about Psalm 77 before on this, and so I was reluctant to jump back in there again. It's because a, surely people remember everything that I've said. You've also <laughs> talked about testimony before. Well, okay. So anyway, anyway. It's anyway. like you wrote a book or something about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in a way, we can participate – in this story, in the same way that David did, in the yeah. same way that, you know, list off other people, whoever they did, that, um, that this tells us about the character of God. When we are in those places, even if we can't testify to where God is present in our situation, we can point to this story, knowing God is present there, uh, it, with the, with the, the faith and the hope that he will part the seas where we're at too. I think that's spot on. I think that's great. Oh, I remember my sermon. 
Psalm 77 that I was working on. No, 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 no. I was, I was playing with the line, um, when God closes a door, he opens a sea. You didn't say that on a podcast. No, not yet. that part. No. You just remembered your, and you're saying like, hey, if you want to steal that line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you put it on the podcast, they're allowed yeah. to steal it. That's the rule, man. And <laughs> no attribution. Just roll with it. Own it. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> I mean, can I read that as a way to kind of oh, bring yeah. it home? Yeah. Oh, I, I will say, if you if you do play with different translations, um, no, when God slams the door, he opens a seat. Because there's that, that passage yeah. in here about, depending on your translation, I know we had a conversation about the Hebrew here. Um but what exactly that oh, yeah, could mean? No, it's, but it's spot on. The slamming of the door, verse nine. Yeah, yeah. When when I've when I've preached on this with teenagers before, I've used the NLT uh, because the description in that is is just really powerful, and I think connects with a young modern audience. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and read that. Is the do you like is the whole NLT great, or is it just that one particular verse that was good? Oh, the or whole thing. Do you thing. remember the whole thing? Yeah, I've got yeah. it right over there. If you want to grab it, all right, I'll grab it. No, I think that's really good. I mean, I, I, it occurred to me that this is considered a psalm of Asaph, and some jokes are just not good for radio. So that one will just go, that'll just pass by. for television. Oh, geez. Um, a psalm of Asaph. So, I mean, I know you're referencing David, and you were thinking of maybe some other psalms, but actually yeah. it could be fun to play with the Asaph reference because he's so unknown. Sure. Okay. To kind of like... You know, huh. to bring that up, like you could read the first half of this psalm at the beginning of the sermon. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, did you want to do it? Or sure. You want me to? No, I'll do that. Um, you could do the first half, then develop the sort of problem and struggle, the fear factor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. amongst the people, or even just like you know, begin to. There's already there's some creative writing angles that you already introduced to this sermon uh like when you're talking about the people running back and the news getting out right so i mean you could do a whole thing there but you could play with asaph a little bit of sure what it would be like to be someone who is in a tough place and then remembers this great story and yeah. how it helps them get through a tough time yeah you know why don't you read it okay all right so psalm 77 and we'll conclude with this i cry out to god without holding back Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I pray with hands lifted toward heaven, pleading. There can be no joy for me until he acts. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended. When my nights were filled with joyful songs, I search my soul and think about the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again show me favor? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be kind? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate that the blessing of the Most High, the blessings of the Most High have changed to hatred. I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts, and I cannot stop thinking about them. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and of wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. You have redeemed your people by your strength, the descendants of Jacob and of Joseph by your might. When the waters saw you, O God, the waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down their rain. The thunder rolled and crackled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder rolled from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway no one knew was there. You lead your people along that road like a flock of sheep. With Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, 
is now and ever shall be. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much, Amanda, for giving us an hour or more of your time. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks uh, to uh, Todd and Eric for all their production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating theme music. And thanks most of all to our listeners. Uh, We appreciate you so much. And yeah, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.